0: Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me.
1: Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Livening Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D, from his times in the territories with PG13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and all major podcast formats. Are you interested in being
0: a voice actor? Or are you already a voice actor wanting to level up your career? Then my voiceover coach can help. Elise Bowman and I have been working together, and she has helped me take my game to the next level and find a whole new confidence behind the microphone. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. She's a results-driven voiceover coach who works with you whether you are completely new to voiceover or you're a seasoned professional. She focuses on three areas. The craft of acting, the technical side, So she'll help you set up a home studio, and you're going to be surprised at how inexpensive that can be. And the business side. You'll learn how to get a demo produced, how to submit to agents, and how to market yourself. The most fun part of it for me has not only been finding that new confidence, but also finding new things I can bring to characters for animation and video games. And like I said, just go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And remember, I know you hear me. And I want to hear from you. So let me know if you have any questions about my experience with the lease. Remember to connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the Hendricks. We are back for another awesome week. Well, I say awesome, but it's another day that I fought the Yellow Jackets and lost. I'm sitting here in studio with a swollen foot from mowing the yard after going over a Yellow Jacket hive. I'll get them one day. But anyway, despite all that, we're back. I'm bringing you another awesome guest here. I've known this guy since the very first day that I started wrestling. We've had so many crazy stories together, uh, whether it's been in college together, been on the roads, listening to Jason Mraz and the Aqua Teen Hunger Force going to shows, whatever it may be. I'm just happy to have this guy on. We're going to talk about his professional wrestling career, moving across country multiple times, and what it's like to actually own, run, and promote your own wrestling company. So on the line, I've got Eddie Brown, also known as Xavier Mustafa. Eddie, how are you doing tonight?
1: I am doing excellent, sir. How are you?
0: Man, I am great now that we're here catching up. Um, if I can get this foot to stop itching, I'd be even better, but we'll deal with that later.
1: You messed it up already. I set you up to say better than I deserve, and you just totally just missed it. Let's I get out of the park, man.
0: Well... That's kind of the reason I had to stay true to form because back in college you gave me the name Fail, so I had to keep true to form because I feel like I was overdue for that.
1: Oh, uh, sorry about your uh, your battle with the um, villain from
0: uh, Ant Man. Oh, I'll get him. I'll get him. Don't He's the worry. Yellow
1: jacket,
0: right? Yeah, Yellow Jacket. <laughs>
1: Getting
0: the Marvel references in already. So, man, you've got just like me. You've got a full plate too because not only are you a wrestler. You've got a full-time job, you run a wrestling company, and you host two podcasts on top of that. Dude, how do you keep yourself sane and find time for yourself during all that?
1: It's it's tough. Um, I usually try to keep Sundays to myself. It's kind of my, uh, I don't know what to call it, commission day, my relaxing day, my just I don't want to do a damn thing kind of day because, yeah, throughout the week I'm super busy work. Coming home, trying to you know make sure you know I'm updating. I'm terrified. Of it. Make sure I'm updating social medias and you know right. sharing posts and promoting posts and talking about the show with people and all kind of all kind of stuff. And then yeah, you said two podcasts. Technically, it's really three because. One, um, we are covering the Marvel Universe stuff, so right now we're doing uh, What If, which uh, by the time this air, we would, I think, be done with What If. Yes, but what I believe if, the,
0: the new Star Wars episode. series is coming out.
1: Yes. Oh, I can't wait for that. Same um, here. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Boba Fett. And I saw a, meme, a great meme today It says, uh, is Boba Fett going to talk about how he was Aquaman's dad?
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> I need answers. I um, need answers. But man it's like
1: yeah so it's being star, it's being star wars nerds i mean oh, nerds. absolutely I, show. I can't wait for it to come back uh, so in, in, in addition to that i'm doing the uh, challenge right now probably going to be added on Survivor. So all of that is going to be on my xm cinema channel so make sure you guys hit that uh subscribe button on there for me and then of course you know legacy pro wrestling which is my pro wrestling company yeah
0: Man, I don't know how you, like you said, one day, if I even had that much to recharge my batteries, I'd feel like a whole new person, but we're going to back it up a little bit because it's going to all tie into everything you just named off right there, and we will have links to all your shows and YouTube channels in the show notes, so everybody make sure you like and subscribe and support them there. We met through wrestling, and we're going to back up just a little bit further than where we actually met. What actually got you into wrestling? And then at that point, too, what brought you down to uh, to Tennessee?
1: So what actually got me into wrestling was one particular match. And I will always remember this match because I remember being on the edge of my seat the entire time. I was rooting for the underdog.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the underdog won, and I was like the happiest teenage boy on the planet that was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, 60-minute Iron Man.
2: Oh, yes.
1: Even my mom was like, oh, my God, you really love wrestling. And I'm like, yes, I do. Because, I mean, even though when the 60 minutes expired, I was like, oh, man, that's bull. You know, like, Shawn Michaels should have won there. Like, this sucks. You know, and then when they restarted it for five more minutes, I was like, oh, my God, can you, can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? And then he did it. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I almost damn near cried like Shawn Michaels did. It was felt like, I won. The, the heavyweight championship and I just remember how that made me feel mm-hmm. as a fan so I, I kind of wanted to make people feel that way in the wrestling I wrestled in high school that <laughs> <It> was <laughs> funny, that was like my transition to a professional wrestling I was like, yeah, this is the same no, you don't get to kick people in
0: the no, no.
1: stunners, but it was still fun know anyway. <laughs> and then um, oh god, some years went past and I was working at a sprint kiosk in one of the malls here in Milwaukee, and I ran into a guy who was running a promotion. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy who was running the promotion really kind of didn't know what he was doing, but he was working with a guy who did know what he was doing. So we started training there. Those guys ended up falling out, and the guy who did know what he was doing went he started his own company, so I kind of followed him there. Started training with those guys, so that would be Frank Falco and Bruce City Wrestling. And then I started training, training under Angel Armani, who taught me more of the uh, psychology stuff. Because he was very, very good at that professional wrestling. So I started to learn under him, and I've been wrestling since then. So that was November of 2003
0: when I started. Woof, man, and that's almost coming up on 20 years here.
1: Yeah, I'm old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so with the am- like starting with amateur wrestling, did you find it hard to transition to professional wrestling, where obviously, you know, like amateur wrestling, your goal is to keep your back off the mat. But with professional wrestling, the goal is to attack the mat with your back. Did you have any problems transitioning out of that?
1: I'm seeing, no, I didn't. I didn't have any problem with that because I ultimately knew that, you know, my goal was to DDT people, people with chairs and stuff like that. So it, it, it wasn't a hard transition at all. I would say my hardest transition was learning to do things, On my right, when I'm Mm left-handed. So, you know, there's you know a couple types of uh, left-handed wrestlers. There are left-handed wrestlers that do everything left-handed, and people just have to adjust to it. Then there's people like me that can do everything right-handed. Right. I don't want to say like it's supposed to be done, but, you know, kind of like it's supposed to be done. And I'm just one of those people that actually can transition. One of my good friends, T.C. Washington, he's left-handed as well. He throws clotheslines with his left hand. He does everything with his left
2: hand. Like, it's just a little awkward.
0: Right? See, I, I can't do anything left-handed except throw an arm drag or do a shoulder roll if my left foot's forward. If I try to do a shoulder roll with my right foot forward, it doesn't work. I can't throw a clothesline. I can't throw a punch. It's just so awkward.
1: Yep, yeah, and people don't realize how awkward that is. Like I watched Lucha Libre, and I was like, man, I don't think I
0: can do it. Mm-hmm. So... When you were training, because I know people can't see you now, but you dwarf normal people. Like you are a giant among men. Were you the biggest person in your training class?
1: I was, and I was uh, a lot smaller than I am now. I think when I started wrestling, I think I was probably around three hundred. I'm a lot, you know, a lot heavier than now, but <laughs> but,
0: still, <laughs> but still, every bit is athletic. Exactly But, I mean, you're still every bit as athletic. Flash forward a few years, one of the biggest things you were known for, especially down around this area, is your moonsault, which, for those that don't know, that is doing a backflip off of the top rope or even standing on your feet and then landing on your opponent chest and stomach first. Did you learn that in training? Was that something somebody taught you? Or was that a self-taught thing? And what was the reaction the first time somebody saw that? So,
1: the first thing I want to say is, And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Like, I kind of understand, like, where where this came from. But I wasn't shown how to do real athletic moves. You know, I was Mm -hmm. trying to be a big guy, you know, kind of, you know, lumbering around. and
0: Stereotypical uh,
1: stuff. uh, punch, slam, you know, that was. (laughs) Yeah. And I was always one of those people. And, you know, I want to say this, but I don't want to sound like I'm talking bad about them. But I didn't want to be like the big show. And at that point, he wasn't really doing a lot of athletic stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not trying to, you know, rip on the big show, but, you know, that's kind of the style of wrestling he was doing then when I was training. Right. So I was like, yeah, I want to do some cool stuff. Now, I took it to the extreme and was doing too many and really out of place little guy stuff, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to learn to, you know, tone that back a little bit. But I was like, you know what? I really want to try this. So one time after training, So at that point, my training school really didn't have a school per se. So we did the training before wrestling show. So every month before the wrestling show, we were training for several hours and we'll set up for the show and break down the show and all of this stuff. So it was time for us to get done training. And it was time for the rest of the the rest of the guys to be able to come in and do whatever they wanted to do in the rain. And, you know, I was like, well, you hold on, I want to try this. So I decided that I was going to do a standing first. So that's not off the top rope. That's the standing in place and, and hitting the backflip. But keep in mind, I'm close to Thierry pounds here, so it's absolutely terrifying. And one of my mentors came up, and he was like, listen, if you're going to do it, just fucking do it. I said, okay. And I did it. And it, it worked. And then I was like, well, hell, if I can do a standing, I can do it off the top rope. And sure enough, when I got the chance to, I did it off the top rope, which is a lot easier to you know the standing more you got several extra
0: feet that you can to
2: complete
0: your rotation. Oh You're yeah. On so I wanna I wanna circle back to one thing you did say in there. Um, you said that you know like there would be a month between shows. Was that the only time you were getting to practice and or getting to train? And if so, was it hard to remember everything that you learned and keep that motivation and keep it fresh in your mind? Or were you able to get some training in in between those periods as well?
1: It was mostly then, once a month, but every once in a while, like, I'll get some extra ones in by, like, traveling with people to other shows. Mm -hmm. And then my second trainer, uh, who was Andrew Armani, he had a wrestling ring that was set up, (laughs) this is going to sound weird, in a field behind some factory, a factory. And we can go there basically kind of whenever we wanted to. Then I started to go weekly, sometimes twice a week, and then we would train there. So it wasn't, it wasn't really hard for me to remember stuff because what would happen, the type of person that I am, if I don't get something, I think about it all the time. Same here. And I'm like, what can I do differently? What do I need to do differently? Like, I remember when I was first learning the back bump. And for those who don't know, the back bump in wrestling is the way that you fall back first and you do it in a way where you don't, you don't kill yourself, you don't die.
0: You don't smack your head, <laughs> you don't give yourself a concussion.
1: Correct. And I just remember like they wanted me to snap when I do it. And for some reason I could not snap. I just could not get it. It was more of a floating kind mm-hmm. of backbone. And I remember between the two training sessions, that's all I thought about. I just thought about attacking the mat, attacking the mat, attacking the mat. Then I got into the next time, just like like nothing. It was just boom, 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 boom. I was doing it.
0: It's funny how that happens, man. It's mind over matter. Again, with your size, with how like tall you are, and the mass, like I'm going to be honest, on the independents, the guys aren't as big as the guys you see on TV. The guys on TV look huge because obviously camera adds size, but a lot of these guys on the independents are like my size. They're 5'5", five 5'6". Five, five six. six foot is really pushing it to say that they're tall, but you know a lot of these guys are anywhere from 150 pounds to really overweight, really out of shape. Like was there anybody that was afraid to work with you, being so athletic, and on top of that, add your size into it? Were they intimidated by that, and how was that for you?
1: So it was two types of people that I would run into. Mm-hmm. There would be the types that are really excited to work with me because they know that I can do stuff. With
2: them. Right.
1: They know if you know we work our way up to a German suplex, they know I'm not going to I'm going to get over on them, and I'm not going to fall on them and kill mm-hmm. them then there's the other ones that are so afraid that i'm not going to do something or i'm going to sandbag them when they try to do something and so they wouldn't want to work with me because of that reason yes i kind of ran into both
0: how did you keep yourself motivated in a i guess a positive mindset when you came across the negative aspect of that where the guys were afraid like did you just take it on yourself to show them or kind of ease them through the match themselves and you take charge or how did that work for you
1: so I definitely, especially in my earlier years, you know, the, one of the things I was taught earlier in my career is you always let the vet lead. Mm-hmm. So I would always let them lead and just make sure that I kill it so that they feel more comfortable next time. Absolutely. So eventually people would warm up and be like, okay, I actually trust this guy
0: now. Right. How hard was that process? And then what was it like when you moved to Nashville and had to start that all over again?
1: Let me kind of explain how that. Vet- transition happened. So okay. I did a show up here for uh, it was SSW and I don't know how this ended up happening, but it was LT Falk, mm-hmm. Josh Crow, and I think, I think it was Sean Hedridge too.
0: And I believe AM Vision was on that show because LT and then AM Vision were the two that originally trained me. And I think there was footage that I saw when I first started training of them at the show you're talking about.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I met those guys, and I knew they were all from Nashville. And so when I actually moved down there, I reached out to LT, and then I came down to a training session that they had, and that's where I met uh, Mike Jablonski, uh, who was impressed with me in the training. And so he asked to work me that day, which was kind of cool.
0: Yep, so. and I remember, too, the day that you showed up, this is how funny like all of this ties together because not only did I meet you that day, I also met our mutual friend and probably another one of my best friends, uh, Seven. Met you guys both the same day. Little did I know, and I think y'all didn't find out till later, you're both from Wisconsin. You're both massive, massive individuals. And at one point, there was also the stigma of all these guys being afraid to work with y'all or being intimidated just because of how big y'all were. I remember like when you walked in and you first stepped in the ring— This is my first day. I didn't know anything. I was about to learn how to take a back bump. You got in the ring and you just stood there. Everybody stopped and watched. And you did just a standing flip bump. And like the ring apron flew up, but you got it flush. And everybody was like, man, this guy can work. Like just everybody was so impressed by that. And that's when I know I I overheard Mike say like, I've got to work with this guy. Like we can build a story off that.
1: I remember that day very well. It was uh, I felt very accomplished. I was like, okay, yes, I do what I was supposed to do. You know, come and, and show people what I can do, and you know, get myself
2: over. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a reminder to not judge a book by its cover, because again, like I said, you're a big dude, but the things you do, a lot of smaller, like flippy guys, we'll call them, can't even do. So you are more athletic than you should be, and that's just like. Again, don't judge a book by its cover. I agree. So what actually brought you down to Nashville?
1: So the the town I'm from is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I had been here, and I say here because I'm back here again, at that point all my life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, I was ready to go. So I had a friend who had just moved down to Nashville probably about six months to a year earlier. So I came down to visit. I loved it. And so when I came back, I started making plans to move down there. So I finally moved down there. I think I was there six months or so before I actually started wrestling. And I remember, like, I was excited about wrestling because when I got there, I got really, really homesick. Like, care, like I was planning to come back home. It was so bad. And uh, that's when I met one of my cousins that lived down there that were family, but we're not close family. So I didn't like know him and his family. So me and him had met. Um, I think at that point, me and you were becoming real cool. Yep. Uh, me and Seven, because Seven, I went to a show, and LT was like, hey, I, um, one of the other wrestlers, he's from Milwaukee. You know how, how people say Milwaukee.
2: Yep.
1: We was like, you know, hey, you're from Milwaukee? He's like, yeah, what school you you with? You? What school you you with? You? you know, we just you know, hit it off then. But that's when I started meeting you guys and, you know, started to really, I like enjoy myself and have fun. So it's kind of, if it wasn't for you guys, I probably wouldn't
2: have stayed down every time that I was
0: down. And it's so funny. I'm going to go into the sidebar now, and it's going to actually open the door to all of these stories we were talking about telling before we started recording here. We met when I was still training. I was this five foot five, five six on a good day, 140-pound kid, scared out of his mind, like had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, I'd still come to the shows after training. I'd watch guys like you and 7 and LT and all these guys get in there and just, like, tear it up in a dingy rundown hotel buffet room. But the crowd ate it up. It was still real to them. And then I think I had my first match in November of that year, and I remember you being on the card in a tag match. But then after that, I think you just kind of like, I don't know if they stopped booking you. I don't know if there was a, a dispute or if you just stopped coming or you ended up moving to Murfreesboro. I don't know what it was, but I didn't see you again until August of the next year at my first semester at MTSU after I'd transferred from Chattanooga. And we sat like almost right next to each other in an art class, but didn't figure out until like the next semester when we weren't even there and we were at another wrestling show. Oh, holy shit, we had art together. It is a small world and it's like, I know that's not him or maybe that is him, but I'm not going to walk up and it be somebody else and have this really awkward exchange at seven in the morning. You know, it's like, uh, it really is a small world. And from there, like you said, like once we figured that out and we started doing shows for HWA, it's like, that's when the ball started rolling. The friendship started clicking and all these other stories that we're about to get into started happening.
1: What happened was I was I was working for that was USWO, right?
0: Yeah, USWO at yeah. first, yeah.
1: So yeah, I was working for for them, and then I think they just kind of stopped using me, so I stopped coming back. Right. And I kind of took a break from wrestling because I was just kind of like kind of. That's right. Out. And I ran into Slade. Yes. You know, Slade? Yes. He was security at a Best Buy.
2: Mm-hmm, that's I right. I went
1: to go buy a TV, and I ran into him, and we got to chat. and he was like, hey, come down to the show. And I'm like, eh, I'm really kind of not into the wrestling anymore. You know? He was like, man, I'm telling you, this show doesn't have the politics like the other ones. We <laughs> really love it. I mean, even <laughs> if you just come and just hang out. Saying,
0: cool. Oh, foreshadowing, <laughs> foreshadowing.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Well, what people don't realize is wrestling is basically like a drug, so... It is. Once I got there, I was hooked, that, and I started wrestling again, and I was back into it. So I started working there, NWA main event. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: we started working for... We started working for FTW as well.
1: Yeah, FTW, and I think I might have worked one time in the. Yeah.
0: I think you did, but I mean... There were so many shows in Nashville at the time that the market got almost diluted. And then it became a, well, if you work for this promoter, you can't work for this promoter. And you were better off kind of just staying, you know, staying out of it. And then, I got,
1: then I got to work for a book
2: promotion as
0: well, too. I thought that was Xavier Muhammad, not Xavier Mustafa, but... <laughs> <laughs> depends on what point he's Right, right. <laughs> but... Back to college, man, we had so many classes together. Your apartment was right across the street from my apartment, and we were hanging out like all the time.
1: And... We tried to find any class we could take together.
0: Yep. uh, And even, uh, oh God, I still haven't forgiven you for this one, but we had a biology class I think at seven in the morning, and then right after that we had a two-hour lab when it came out, and... We got into a little bit of trouble in that class. So, do you want to tell the story or should I tell the story?
2: So,
1: well, the, the legend has it, because nope. I'm not going to confirm or deny this, but <laughs> the legend have it
2: that one of us would do the work and then they
1: would send the work to the other person for editing purpose and then we would turn in our assignments. However, one of us forgot to change the name on the actual assignment, so when the teacher received both assignments, they had one of my names on it. I can't remember who made the mistake. I think it was
0: me. No, no, no. What it was, was you had your name right on yours, allegedly, and then you changed my name to Sir McDouchebag, and I didn't pay attention to the name, and... I submitted it with that name, and then the professor called us up, and I had no idea what was going on. This professor is looking at us, and she's like, do we have a problem here? Do you think this is funny? Do you think biology is a joke? And I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? She pulls out the paper, and I see the name, and then I happen to like,
1: uh... I know I know that she knew it was the same with the paper. Yeah. Because when, I think she, I think she had talked to one of us before she talked to both of us. And my excuse was, oh, we live together. We share the same computer. I think that's how I got
2: it. <laughs> yep.
0: Then I go back to my apartment. I actually pull up the email that you sent me. It was still sitting at the top of my inbox. And in big, bold letters, allegedly, that I did not read, it said, check before sending.
1: <laughs> okay, that sounds right.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> and then there was another time in the same lab where this teacher had us do a chemical test where everyone took a dropper and each dropper had a different substance in it that you would each drop into the bottle and then pass it around the classroom. And so you,
1: had to go to, you had to go to, I think it was five people. Yes. And you had to drop, I think it was five droplets of your liquid into... Somebody else's. So, us being immature, we were just like, I banged you. I
0: banged you. Oh, you could get away with that back then. What it came down to was, I was one of the few that actually had a contaminated chemical. So, what this teacher, or what this professor labeled it as was, you have now transmitted a disease to your fellow classmates. So, that led to me, allegedly giving the class AIDS.
1: Yep, and then I always got the claim that I banged you first before you got AIDS. <laughs> because I was clean at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> and here's another funny story about college. People would hear this story, people would knew that we hung out together, and people would think that we were also dating. Yep. Nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't what was going on, but you could not convince them otherwise.
1: And I'm like, we can't be friends. I mean, oh yeah, we banged each other in this chemistry class. (laughs) You know, and I almost caught AIDS, but
0: I didn't. It's called a budding bromance, but nobody got it back then. Anyway, off of that side tangent, back to the wrestling scene. I know you said Slade, who is a mutual friend of both of ours. He said that this place has no politics. This place has nothing like that. We get there. Things are cool. Our friend Quentin is actually in control of the creative at this show. However, it turns out there are booking disputes between him and the powers that be that own the place. And it eventually turned into a them versus us situation that just exploded at a benefit for a church show. What was it like for you? I mean, we actually got to have our first match against each other in that time frame. So that was a silver lining right there. But what was it like for you in that time frame being in the locker room on a local indie show where there's not big pay, nothing WWE or AEW level, even though it wasn't around at the time? What is your mindset when you see things like that going on?
1: I remember it being very awkward because, I mean, at this time... I started in 2003, so I would say this had to have been 2007.
0: It was actually a little bit after that, because 2007 is when we met at USWO. It was about 2009, 2010-ish.
1: Okay. okay. Yep. So I, I remember like not being in the business for a long period of time, but being in there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is going on? And I just remember I was more so about the professionalism of it. The one of the situations where there was a guy who wasn't really properly trained. Mm-hmm. Now, from my experience with him, he was a good guy. Like he, he wasn't really an asshole or anything. He kinda got dragged in this situation too, because of the people that he hung out with that quote unquote trained him. So I didn't mind working with the guy you know, kind of showing us things like that, but somebody really needed to like kind of take control of that and, you know, mm-hmm. take, And so, when the situation happened where there was a benefit show, and then those wrestlers showed up, and we knew it was a hostile situation, and then in the main event, which I think we were all in.
0: You were in. It was, uh, I wasn't, I was actually watching from the back with uh, Mark Anthony and some other people. It was actually you and Shane Smalls, God rest his soul, against JC and Josh Crow. And the JC was actually running the benefit for his Sunday school, and he had actually had second thoughts about running at this location due to issues prior to that, but everybody said, we'll put our differences aside, things escalated, and then somebody actually tried to hit the ring during your match, and that's when everything just kind of hit the fan.
1: Yep. So the big brawl breaks out, and then we all get to the back, and then I just kind of like went off about like how unprofessional this stuff is, and then uh, I got into a verbal altercation with
0: I believe uh, it was um, Lee Condry.
1: Yep, because he felt that I was kind of disrespecting, you know, his boy and I get it and you know maybe I should have been cooler about the situation you know we were both assholes to each other about the situation yeah he wanted to kick me out the locker room I'm like I'm not going way until I change buddy so if we're gonna fight we're gonna fight and you know after that situation I really didn't speak to him anytime I saw him ever again so I want to say it was a couple of years later that I ran to him at a show and he came and spoke to me like nothing happened. And I just kind of went along with it. I was like,
2: okay. Yeah, see,
0: that's, that's the weird thing about wrestling is situations like this happen. You go for however long without talking to somebody and then it's like nothing ever happened. Or it's like even if you don't have problems, you go however long you don't see them. It's like you never missed a day. I know it does for me, but do you stay on guard in a situation like that? Do you keep your guard up? Or does, is that something you even think about in a situation like that?
2: I do.
1: I, I do keep my guard up, but I just kind of keep that in the back of my mind. Like, okay, I know what you're capable of at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and see how this, how this goes. But I, I remember what happened.
0: Fool me once, That's shame on point. you. Fool me right. twice, shame on me.
1: We end up being good from that point. so yeah. And there was another wrestler that, you know, I don't care for it. But, you know, anyway, I digress.
0: I will say that day was very mixed emotions for me because not only did all of that happen, but at the same time on that show, it was actually supposed to be me and you tagging. And there was going to be a spot where the guy that we worked did kind of like a Jake Roberts gimmick where he carried a sack to the ring that had a 10-foot python in it. I'm not kidding. The guy actually had a python. He was supposed to pull it out. You were supposed to jump out of the ring and run away. Well, Which would have
1: legit happened in real life.
0: Absolutely. But this is where y'all got me because you and Jeremiah Plunkett, who's come up on this show before, actually told the guy, hey, he's afraid of snakes. So when you get him down after the match is over, put the snake on him. And I tried to get away. I had a feeling that something like that was going to happen. I tried to run. I tried to do whatever. And somebody grabbed me and pulled me back. Snakes are not my thing at all. I want every snake in the world to die. But here I am on the floor in this nasty building with a 10-foot python wrapped around me. Ugh, I hate y'all for that. Never forgive yes.
1: you. It's one of those things that you shouldn't announce your greatest fears, especially around a bunch of wrestlers.
0: No, because they <laughs> will get you. I mean, ugh. So, actually, speaking with something like that, too, you know, like announcing things like that, whether it's outsider wrestling, in wrestling, do you feel like there's a breach of trust there if you have to be on your guard like that? Do you find it hard to make new friends in wrestling, knowing the way some people have been in the past? Like, Do you feel like that kind of jades your opinion of somebody new that you meet?
1: It, it can, but again, I'm one of those type of people that I'm like, okay, even though, let's say, I've heard rumors about XYZ person, mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to be working with XYZ person, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because sometimes people just over great things. You know, they may... I like that person. That's why they're talking bad about them. They probably maybe just had a bad experience with that person. Maybe that person gave off their an asshole vibe, and they're really not. You know, so I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt until, you know, they cross me and then it's like, okay.
0: Absolutely. I know that's something you actually helped me get better at because I was guilty of not liking somebody <laughs> because of something I heard and not giving them the chance or I was young and insecure, like I said, because I was still a small guy and I'm around all these bigger dudes and, you know, everybody's like, oh, I can't do anything with this small kid because it's going to hurt my credibility when he's got a gut, he's got gym shorts and that's his gear, you know, so what credibility is that going to hurt? But, you know, I would hold a lot of grudges like that and you actually helped me get past that point to give people a chance and not just, you know, hold that against them too. So the uh well, I didn't know
2: that.
0: yes yes you did except for except for seven that guy still I can't get yeah I don't know about that guy begs for bookings begs for begs for everything anyway after that we were still working at FTW and you were still in college as well working a full-time job I know when when I was in that situation I was going non-stop almost seven days a week not sleeping drinking a lot First time confession here on the podcast, I was actually doing steroids and I felt amazing so I didn't need sleep and I was basically just living a college lifestyle, working a full-time job with a full-time schedule, working anywhere from three to five nights a week. And that caught up to me eventually. How did you navigate all that to where it didn't wear you out so much?
1: It was rough. I know the first couple of years of school I was working uh, full-time. I want to say the last two years, I did go part time just because I had to the mm-hmm. way my schedule. You know, when you when you're a junior and a senior, your classes aren't. You know, you can pick the time that you want. Like, is here the time that we got? Make it work. Yeah. So I have classes. You know, some that will start at seven o'clock in the morning. I have some that would end at six thirty in, in the evening. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's hard to work a job like I was working for Sprint at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to have to quit and go work somebody else, work somewhere else. Otherwise, I can only work two hours Monday through Friday.
0: Yeah. And see, that's actually part of the reason why I didn't I didn't pursue teaching full time, because, you know, it was going to go from a semester of not being able to have a job and focusing strictly on that to a full year. And I was just you know, I was like, there's no way I can do that. So I just graduated the next semester with a with an English and communications degree. And that was that. But I mean, like like you said, it's tough because when you are a junior and you are a senior, those are the only times those classes are and you've got to make it work. So,
1: Well, I'll say the biggest thing college taught me is it really taught me how to manage my time. and I think that's one of the things that, that you know, I take even now in life with me because, I mean, I add it down to a science. I'm like, okay. It's three o'clock in the morning. I can go to sleep for two hours. Then I can wake up. I can get to class 45 minutes early, study for the test that I'm about to take at seven o'clock. And I would have a time to a science where, you know, I I would have time to get my work done, study and work. And, you know, even my senior year, because my senior year I was working for Best Buy. Yep. And my manager was absolutely awful. And even though she knew I was going to school and there was another guy who was working there, he had a full-time job as well, she was working those 30-plus hours a week. And there was basically nothing we could do about it. And when I was like, hey, I'm only supposed to be working 20, 25 hours, her her excuse was, oh, I can schedule you anytime I want during your availability. hmm Yeah, that's up. Uh, and still was trying to wrestle at that point. So, you know, I just kind of got in wherever I could fit in. You know, a lot of long nights. It got to the point where... Once I graduated, it probably took me a good six months before I would stop waking up in the middle of the night wondering if I needed to study for something.
0: God, I, I can... i so
1: used to studying for something all the time.
0: I don't miss that at all. Man, I just, I remember, like, getting ready for your graduation and all that. I actually overslept and missed the breakfast with your family and everything, but went to your graduation. I remember the knee-high suit that you wore, all the other wrestlers that showed up and everything. Then we went and ate dinner. Then we went and wrestled on a show that night. What was it like for you when you finally got your diploma? Like, Was that stress off your back, or was it just something you do on to the next thing?
2: It felt
1: absolutely amazing, and this is the reason why. So I had a terrible time in high school. Mm -hmm. High school was awful for me. It took me an extra couple of years to actually graduate high school. It's something I really haven't told a lot of people because, you know, I was teased a lot of the time in high school. I can I relate. Didn't get—I not say I didn't get along, but I didn't get along with a lot of people. I was getting into fights all the time. It was just always something, and end up where I end up transferring schools. But by the time I did that, I was kind of over it from the last school, and you know, I kind of really didn't give that school a chance. And I remember that I was going to go to the technical college here in, in
2: wisconsin or mm-hmm. Milwaukee, and i was going to get what was called the H S E D, which is
1: it's a step up from the ged so you actually have to take some classes and then you take a test and then you know so i was actually going to do that but i had to get my transcripts from my old school so i went in and i went to talk to the person and they were like hey you need to when you need to have a chat with the principal so the principal came in and was like, basically, he was like, what are we doing? And I said, okay, this is what I'm doing. He said, no, we're not. He was like, you're going to be at school Monday, and then we're going to get through this. And so I would never, ever forget Mr. Paziski, who was my principal, that just said, okay, you know, took the time to be like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to go this route. You're going to stick it here, and you're going to stick it out. And I did, and I got my school diploma.
2: Nice. another
1: part of that is when i was talking to the lady at the technical college about the hscd program one of the things she asked is what i wanted to do in the future and i told her i said well i do want to go to college to get a degree and i can't remember exactly what she said it was something like be serious or something to that effect like that's completely out of the question i remember feeling very offended by that like Okay, why can't I get my HSED and then still go to college and get a degree? Yeah. So when I got my degree, it's kind of like a fuck you to her <laughs> because I still did it.
0: I understand right,
1: that. I went, I went, I finished high school, I got a regular high school diploma, I went to college, I got my bachelor's degree in aerospace, thank you very much, with a minor in entrepreneurship.
0: Man, see, I just, I learned so much about you right there that I didn't even know after knowing you for 14 years at this point. Man, like, I didn't even know, like that you had those problems. But that makes me wonder, though, like, just out of curiosity, did you ever have, I don't want to call it, like, PTSD, but did you ever have flashbacks or have any situations similar to what happened in high school? Or were you in a situation in college that made you feel like you were reliving high school? Or did that give you any trepidation going to a new school, like when you transferred down here?
1: It did, because I just assume college will be just like high school. Mm -hmm. One of the big problems I had with high school was kind of, I was very awkward in high school because that was kind of the time I was learning who I was. Right. So, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm this big, tall, black, gay guy that's in school around all these quote unquote straight people that all they do is talk about you know fags and all this stuff like that you know so it's, you know and I'm going through I do not say hormonal it's not the world, before but I'm you know I'm going through all this like you know I'm trying to figure out who I am yeah exactly and, you know I remember like I told somebody and they went and told like half the school and then that was a, that was an issue and it was it was all kind of drama like that and so when I went to college I was like oh man this might be the same shit you know what. Nobody gave a shit in college, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I just realized that the big difference is people have to go to school because their parents are making them, so even the assholes come to school. Yep. Where in college, you're paying for it. So nine times out of ten, people are there to get their degree. They're not worried about what you're doing, who you are, what you do you know, on the weekend or anything like mm-hmm. that. They're just there to get the degree, and it was so refreshing.
0: Absolutely.
1: I absolutely loved my college
2: experience.
0: Man, just so much of that stuff that you just experienced right there is all stuff that my older brother actually went through in high school. You know, just seeing what he went through now, like, and hearing what you did, it kind of takes me back to all of that and just kind of, like, being there with him when all that stuff happened. Like you said, in high school, people are there because they have to be, and... They can be assholes. I don't know if it's just a typical teenage thing or you don't know what else to do. So you find something about somebody that's different and you just rip into it. And then you don't, the next guy does it because he doesn't want to get made fun of and whatever it is. But then, like you said, you get past that point, you get to college, nobody cares. Everybody's there to do their own thing. They're either there to get their diploma, go party, go to work. Nobody cares what car you drive, where you live, how you dress? Like nobody cares. So I I get that because I expected a lot of that. You know, like I was the fat kid in high school. I had a mullet my first two years. Had real bad acne. Then I lost a bunch of weight. Still kind of changed. Like changed how I was viewed, but I was still socially awkward. I dealt with that my first year at college, uh, down in Chattanooga with my roommates. There, you know, it was like they. Were, it was like high school year five at that point. So I just kept to myself again. But you know, it's like well, then when I got to MTSU. It's like the gates opened and it just started being fun. You know, like you said, you don't, nobody cares what you're doing except your family because they're helping you pay for everything or whatever it may be. And then the people you hang out with, you're going to make it to work out after this. You're going to come over and study. We're going to go drink. Whatever it was, that was really all people cared about.
1: I, I see why so many teenagers are having mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I was there, I thought about doing things to myself. And quote unquote ending and stuff like that. But,
2: yep.
1: you know, I'm, I'm thankful at the end of the day, I did have people that I could talk to. Absolutely. You know, and, not, and not to say that I necessarily talked to them about that, because sometimes it was just like, hey, I just need to chill and hang out with this person and just talk about whatever. And then at the end of the day, I, I felt a lot better about yeah. it. Like I don't have to sit there and be like, oh man, I'm thinking about, you know, doing this, you know, like I, we don't have to have that conversation. Right. But, you know, just being around people and you know,
0: getting your mind off the stressful stuff.
1: You know, yeah.
0: The support system makes all the difference in the world. And not too long after you graduated, uh, you know, we were still wrestling, everything was still going on there. We were actually going out and filming a lot of uh vignettes and promos for the shows that we were working, we were having a lot of fun doing that. But you know, about Three months after you graduated, you dropped the bombshell on our little group of friends there that you were moving to California. What kind of spiked that decision?
1: Uh, Basically, the filming. I wanted to learn to be a filmmaker. I had a friend that lived out there in uh, Riverside, California, which is about 45 minutes from LA.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I wanted to go out there and do that. And things kind of just didn't plan out the way I wanted it to. So you know, I got there, and you know, of course, I don't have the experience like everybody else does. So it wasn't like I could just go there and just jump into projects and make money, right? So I had to find a full time job. I could not find a full time job to save my life. I I've heard that story there so many times. Part time position with Best Buy because I was working part time. I was able to transfer part time. I mm-hmm. uh, was killing my numbers, and I was applying for every, <laughs> literally, damn it, every full time position Best Buy had. I would interview and I would get feedback like your interview was great. We wish we had two positions so we could hire you. But unfortunately, you know, we got somebody here that, you know, already works here and, you know, they're doing a great job right now. So, you know, we're giving it to that person. Or my famous one is, oh, we weren't able to look up like your numbers. And I was like, I, I brought you my numbers because I knew how the system worked. Yep. And when you transfer, you kind of lose everything from the other location because you're no longer in their system. So all that just zeroes out. So I actually brought copies and I'm like, okay, that's just an excuse. So I realized it was kind of a who you know type situation. Yeah. In addition to the best buy positions I was applying for, I applied for a ton of other positions. I didn't even get interviewed for that. Wow. Like, that's that's how I know, like, I was like, damn, i just like the worst person ever or what? And then I finally said, you know, I'm one of those type of people that, like, when I I'm I have a heavy decision on me that I'm considering, I think about it, like, real hard the day before, and then I sleep on it. Mm-hmm. And then when I wake up in the morning, I usually have clarity on what I, need, what I need to do. Right. I woke up that next morning, and I said, okay, I gotta go. So I started the process and I said, okay, either I'm going to try to transfer back to my Tennessee Best Buy or I'm going to transfer to the Best Buy from Milwaukee. If I go to Milwaukee, I can live with my brother until I find, you know, a full-time job and get on my feet. And mm-hmm. we move back to Nashville. I know I can move in with one of my friends or my cousins who still had our apartment at that time. Right. So it ended up working out where I was able to get a position uh, here in Milwaukee. So I moved because I, I started to like going debt and credit rating, rating started to tank and all kind of stuff right now. I, I just had to come oh back
0: So this is going to be a, a multi-layered question here. Now, you were still wrestling a lot here until, uh, until you did move. Did part of, like, things maybe not panning out or kind of falling just an unwitting pawn in a lot of the Nashville wrestling drama and not being used the way you should have been, did a lot of that factor into, like, things just aren't working out here, so I need to try a new scene? Then you go out there and the same thing happens with the Best Buy and trying to interview everywhere else. And, you know, it feels like things just may not be clicking. How do you keep yourself in a got to keep moving state of mind to know like, hey, I've got to either go back to Nashville or go back to Milwaukee and keep yourself motivated and not just give up and say, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do.
2: So
1: it was kind of a, a multitude of things. One of the things, the dating scene in Nashville was trash. Yep. <laughs> it was pure trash. So I was kind of annoyed by that. Wrestling wasn't panning out the way I thought it should. I wanted to go out and experience, you know, some, some newer places, things mm-hmm. like that. So that was kind of what made uh, California a little more attractive. And then plus, you know, it's California, man. Like, <laughs>
0: that's the dream.
1: Right so that's how that ended up you know working out but didn't pan out so then i ended up coming back here the the thing though about coming back here is as much as i hated this place when i left i really had a new respect for it when i returned because there's a lot of things here that like you don't have in the south you don't have on the west coast you know yeah like something as simple as and i thought it was weird like here if i move into a place and i need to have my gas electricity turned on i call they said in Nashville I had to physically go down to the building they set up and I'm like what I'm like is this 1980s like
0: and then you got to schedule a technician that may not be able to come out for a week or two or whatever it may be and it's it's never easy and it's never convenient like they say it is I
1: agree and then like I remember like They didn't even take payments over the phone or something weird like that. So I had to like mail a check. I was like, who does that? Yeah. (laughs) The bus transportation system. Here, you miss a bus. Another one's coming in about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. In Nashville, you can probably wait an hour for another bus (sighs) in 120 degree heat.
2: Yep. Like like,
1: like, little stuff like that. You're like, wow, it is really different in other places. Like I have to have a car here at all times. Mm-hmm. In California, it was kind of funny because the funniest thing about California was the traffic. Like, there'll be towns where 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, no traffic. You'd think it would be, but no traffic. One time I was coming off work at like 11 o'clock at night in traffic. God. <laughs> I'm like, what? This makes no sense. And there'll be no reason for the traffic. Like, once you get ahead of the traffic down, you think you're going to see an accident or something like that? Nope.
0: And that's what, it's, uh, that's what Nashville's becoming right now. It's like traffic almost non-stop, even with COVID going
1: on. I remember traffic being the worst in Nashville because when I first got there, I lived in Antioch. Mm-hmm. So I would go down, what was that, is that Bell Road?
2: Yeah, Bell, Bell Road, yep.
1: I get on the Bell Road, and it would take forever just to get to the highway. Mm-hmm. Then you get on the highway, it took me forever to get downtown where I was working at the time. And even though it's really only like a 10-minute drive, yeah. but it took at least 45 minutes sometimes.
0: And there's never a wreck. There's never anything to slow it down. It's just people don't know how to drive.
1: People don't know how to drive, and that city is way too
2: overpopulated. <laughs> right.
0: Now, when you got back to Milwaukee, you'd already been out. You lived in two other places. You came back home. Did you have an idea in mind already to start your own wrestling company? Was Legacy Pro already a thing that you just kind of inherited, or was that something that somebody had to kind of talk you into doing? Because I don't, I don't know the story on how that actually got started. So I'm wanting to learn this myself, not only just as a story to share on the podcast here.
1: So the way the origins of Legacy Pro work, we started it six years ago. So what ended up happening was first there was a, a guy that started a company called Ice Pro, And I kind of was doing the booking there for them. Mm-hmm. um tc was kind of doing a little bit of the booking too and helping the promoter out do things and our mindset was you know what we can do this better than all the promoters out here like we know what we're doing okay so first of all I let people know no it's not easy <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks
0: i've done uh, it a couple better. times i can attest to that because you've got to deal with everybody else's ego or why am i doing this i would never do this or I, I can't lose. I can't do this. You know, I so much stuff that you would think you'd never have to deal with. Yet here we are having a conversation with a grown man about it.
1: Yep, it takes a certain type of person to be able to handle that. So
0: it does. We
1: went in a little naive about it, but you know, we worked things out. Then the promoter from Ice Pro decided that he wanted to uh, stiff us and oh. leave with only paying. I think he
2: paid like one person. And me and TC had to come out
1: of pocket to pay everybody else. So what we decided to do, we said, okay, well, you know, we have a relationship with, you know, everybody that's here here is on the show. So we're just going to start our own company called Legacy Pro. Now, let me, because I know TC hears this, she's going to be mad. It started out with TC running it.
2: And Mm -hmm. Brandon
1: and I was kind of the booker for him. And then we just decided that we were going to do it together like 50-50.
0: Yep, because I remember at one point, I think you'd kind of fantasy booked me working with him because we were similar in size, similar in height and everything. And, you know, like, even I think we had some tag matches or something like me and Seven against you and TC or whatever it was. Like, there was a lot of stuff that, unfortunately, we didn't get to to pan out to, but continue. I, I didn't mean to do that little yeah, sidebar oh, uh, there.
1: That's because it was so hard to get you
0: up there. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't flown at that point.
1: It was like Milwaukee. Fuck that place.
0: Too cold. My knees can't <laughs> handle it. Like, you
1: we know, that stuff called snow? Ooh. What is <laughs> that? So, yeah, we've been doing it for six years. I mean, we've had our ups and downs. You know, we've had inconsistent draws. We've gotten to buildings where they just decide, oh, we just don't want to do wrestling anymore. Or buildings like, you destroyed something that you actually didn't, but we're going to act like we're fake mad about it and uh, not allow
0: you to be here. And that's why I actually got banned from uh, from a building down here. Same exact reason right there. You destroyed this, but it's hanging fresh on the wall. Go figure. You know, in in situations like that, how do you stay grounded? Like, how do you not just get frustrated or throw your hands up? Or, you know, to add into that, too, all the other pressures that come into it, like the booking or telling so-and-so, hey, this is what's going on tonight. Like, this is what we need, and they have a problem with it. Or trying to negotiate with uh, with a big name that you're trying to bring in, book the flights, book the lodging, you know, like how do you handle all that pressure and s- still stay so cool, calm and collected on all of it?
1: So it's one of those things like take our college experience. Uh-huh. You know, if you had a big paper, a big research paper, so you gotta go to the library, you gotta get all these books or whatever you're gonna use, you gotta format your paper, and do your rough drafts and then do your final drafts and then submit it. That point where you submit it and get that grade back, you're like, ah, it's done. And it was great. I got an A. That's how I feel about Rest of Lifetime. It is so stretchful. Even while the show is happening, it's like you don't know the ring could blow up, mm-hmm. the building could cave in, like anything random could possibly happen. I,
0: I've actually been in the ring when things like that have happened. You know, send a guy into the turnbuckle, the bottom rope falls off, or, yeah. you know, like just anything that can go wrong, Will, That just, plan on that yeah. happening.
1: Man, we've had where the sound system goes out right before the show, <sighs> uh, during the show. Man, we've had some really embarrassing things happen. And like, once that final three count happens or that final bell rings whatever happens in the main event and it's over it's like okay we did it we're done right (laughs) and then it's like okay now let's get stressed off.
0: now for you i've got a couple questions about that now do you tend to worry about the financial aspect of it or is it more for like a love and a passion for what you're doing or are you dialed in like this is what I've got to make tonight to break even and that factors into the happiness at the end of the night? What What is all that like?
1: It's all of the above because we do go in saying, okay, this is how many bucks we're going to put in the seat to, to make our budget. I also care about the quality of the show.
0: Absolutely. So
1: even if we don't make our budget, and we still had a good show on it. So I just kind of look at it as, all right, I just pay for a ticket to a movie.
0: Right, right.
1: I'm not going to get that money back. I lost that money. But you know, at the end of the day, this person got over. This happened to progress the storyline. You know, all those things happen. So it's, it's not the end of the world to me. Now, yeah, the financial aspect is, can can be a burden sometimes. I mean, we've lost more money than we've gained overall as a company.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction, I think, now. We have a place that's a really, really cool building. The owners are really, really cool. They actually like wrestling, which is a big help.
2: Absolutely. If you're somewhere,
1: I'm going to let everybody know that wants to be a promoter. If you're somewhere where the people don't care about wrestling, they'll find any way to get rid of you because they don't give a shit. Yep. If it's somebody who's like, hey, you know, I love wrestling. I watched wrestling when I was growing up. This is my favorite wrestling. Like those people are willing to work with you. Mm hmm. Those other people, like I don't know about wrestling. Uh, those, those are your flaky people. And as soon as something happens, they don't like your
0: animal. And I mean the the former that you just said. You know the people that love wrestling. If you run it in their building, they will be so excited to go and tell people, their friends that they may have grown up watching it with, the people they still watch it with now. There's more people coming to the show right there. Those people are eager and happy to promote that show too. So it makes a huge difference. Yep. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Now, I've got a couple more questions about that. First question, with everything going on with COVID, I know back at the start of the pandemic, and even as things looked like they were kind of moving in the right direction with numbers going down and everything, you guys had tried to run shows and had to end up canceling or rescheduling. Was there any point in all of that where you guys just thought about saying, man, maybe this is the time to hang it up and close the doors? Like, Did that thought ever cross your mind?
1: Not the thought of completely closing doors, but kind of, you know, just stopping until until everything was over. But then we looked at it and we kind of decided okay, people are yearning for entertainment. So let's not completely cut people off from entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like instead of running, you know, a show of the month during the fall and the spring and the winter, they'll usually run less shows in the summer. It was like let's give people something to do and it kind of worked out because you know even though people were concerned about covid and everything wearing masks and stuff like that and being socially distant and stuff like that people came out to the shows yeah and then like for the most part we were kind of the the litmus test if you will before i think a lot of other promotions i was kind of wondering what they're going to do is now okay how is this going to work there we were looking at other promotions outside of this thing, like how are they doing this? Okay, they're setting up the chairs where they're spaced out, okay, maybe instead of trying to fit two hundred people in the room, okay, maybe they're only gonna fit hundred. You know, then we noticed you know people were doing the little temperature thing and you know, people were providing masks at the show to mm-hmm. uh, the customers mm-hmm. instead of having them have to bring their own. Like so we just kinda just took notes from places and kind of paid attention to what each county was mandating. Right. So that We were, you know, okay with that because we didn't want our building to end up getting fined.
2: Yeah. You
1: know? So it was one of those things where we just really had to be real agile about everything because-
0: Absolutely.
1: Just, thankfully, the only time we had to cancel a show really, really close to a show, we still had like a week. Right. And we were, okay, anybody that brought tickets, they can, when we reschedule, you still have your ticket, otherwise we give your money back. Well, people it, cool people
0: understand. Absolutely. I mean there's not really much you can do to argue in a situation like that too given the circumstances of what's going on. But listening to all that actually added another question that I've got to ask here because we had mentioned it briefly earlier with the Nashville scene getting so diluted with other promotions running, drama between the shows where if you work for one show you can't work for the other unless you were somebody special blah blah blah. Was there anything like that up in your area, especially when you guys started the show? Were there any other promotions or promoters that were just like, this is my territory, don't come into it? Or were a lot more people willing to kind of work and co-promote with you guys?
1: That's a good question. So there was no, at least as far as we went, that we know of, Mm -hmm. there was no, hey, if you work with Legacy Pro, you can't work with us. There was a lot of promos- promotions that talked a lot of shit about us. To this day, there's some promoters that you know act very, very friendly to us, but we know at the end of the day, you know they're rooting for our failure. Right. But the biggest thing for us is we, and this kind of kind of pisses a lot of people off, but we don't like to use people that are used everywhere around it. Okay, if you work for a promotion or two around her, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you work for all the promotions around here, we kind of don't see the value in using
0: it. Just to kind of put an analogy on this, let's just say, like, you see the Mona Lisa for the first time. It's something amazing. Like, that's just like, wow, I, I don't know how to process that. But if you keep seeing it over and over and over again, it loses its value. It loses its... um. Star quality, so to speak. I guess we'll use that as the analogy for like these wrestlers. If you can see this guy on show XYZ and he does all his biggest hits there, how many more times are you going to come to these other shows and see him play the hits again? You know, like not knocking anybody, but after a certain point, the songs can only be played so many times, the moves can only be done so many times before the crowd catches on to what you're doing and the appeal goes away. So you know, it's better to treat them like a a limited edition or a limited attraction type of thing. I
2: agree. We've kind
1: of become the black company, if you will, because we use a lot of African-American talent. But a big part of that is because those guys aren't used around here. Inadvertently happened, and we kind of looked up one day and was like, hey, we need some minorities around here. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because usually you're like, when you say minority, you can usually African American, you know, people people of color, right? But ours is the complete opposite. Our minorities are Caucasian.
0: Have you noticed any differences in the demographics for like your crowds at that point? Because I know down here in the South, a lot of what you see are either hipsters and college kids that think it's cool to go to a wrestling show, or as you've seen at other places we've worked, you get some people that you would see in everyday life. Then you get the people that are the stereotypical wrestling fan, overalls, trucker cap, you know, steel toe boots, chew and dip in the front row, you know, like where it's still real to them. Have you noticed that, like, having an all black person of colored roster, have you noticed that that has affected your crowd diversity in any way?
1: So this is kind of funny because we've actually had this conversation and we've determined that people don't care. they? No, just exactly you know but we still like to you know make sure we have a variety of people because even though it's the vast majority isn't being represented on our show we still want somebody for everybody absolutely anybody to feel left out but nope we get the same people that go to a bunch of shows around here and they don't care they just want to see wrestling
0: perfect like you said they don't care why should they they come to be entertained the color of the person's skin should not matter in this day and age. And if you come to be entertained and you come to see the guy do the flips, you come to see the bad guy, whatever color he may be, hopefully lose or cheat, and then you hope the next guy next time beats him, doesn't matter. You should be invested in the story and the entertainment more than anything else.
1: I want that too is, like, we are very big on, like, building our stars. Mm-hmm. So we've put our heavyweight belts on people that nobody in this area would ever put a heavyweight belt on. And I'm thankful that every one of them has risen up to the occasion.
0: Absolutely.
1: have never had a bad champion, in my opinion. And that, to me, is, like I said earlier, at the end of the day, when that last bell rings, I'm happy because we had a good show. We told the stories that we wanted to tell. We got the people over that we wanted to get over.
0: I can relate to that part so much because, like you said, you put the championship on somebody that other promotions would never do that for. And, like, that's actually how I won my first cruiserweight title and how I won my first heavyweight title. However, unfortunately, I only got one show out of that heavyweight title because of ownership changes and... The next show, they took the belt off me to give the middle finger to the other guy. So, I never really got a chance to, to do anything other than cause a riot. But, like I said, nobody would expect to get the chance to rise to the plate and, you know, try and get that grand slam because not only does it keep you watching in the back from an ownership standpoint because you want to see if you made the right decision, but it also keeps the crowd on their toes and want to keep coming back to see Man, like this guy I was not expecting him to win. Is he going to do it again? Is he just going to be a one-time one-show champion and lose it the next time? Can he squeak by again? Like I love that because it keeps the crowd guessing in a day and age where almost anything can be predicted or it's going to oh, I knew that's the way they were going to go. So it it throws a wrench in what's the norm at this point. I love that.
1: And the only thing I'd say that's sometimes bad about it is you get certain people, and that's kind of a problem we're running into now, where, you know, you get those wrestlers that they're
2: better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to be patient. They don't mm-hmm. know how to take direction. You know, there's one in particular,
1: you know, I'm not going to say his name, but, you know, I kind of had big plans for him, but I just need him to be patient and do what I asked him for, you know, these next
0: couple yep. months. You've got to earn and, your keep.
1: You know, I told him, I said, oh, hey, on this show, I actually don't want you to wrestle I said, I want you to actually do a segment with one of the other wrestlers to put over your comedic chops because you are a funny heel. Mm -hmm. You know how to be a funny heel. You know how to get the babyface over. Let's do this to set up to get the babyface over. And they did not want to do it. So I said,
2: okay,
0: that's fine. Yep. And just to to clarify on that as well, for those that don't know, the heel is the bad guy. The babyface is the good guy. It blows my mind that these guys on the independent level refuse to do stuff like that. When you can go back to 2000, 2001, you see, like, the top tier of this business, guys that people still talk about with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle. You know, Kurt Angle's an Olympic gold medalist. Stone Cold's the guy that is running around beating his boss up, driving in a Zamboni, destroying stuff with a monster truck, like the badass redneck that everybody wants to be beating up their boss and they're sitting there doing whatever kind of comedic thing they can do playing a ukulele wearing a little cowboy hat if these guys can go on tv and do stuff like that why can't you go out on an independent show and just have fun make it entertaining for everybody why is your ego all the way up here when these guys egos weren't even all the way up there like I don't get that. I encountered that problem when people wanted, you know, wouldn't do things with me. Oh, he's too small. It's gonna hurt my credibility. Like, dude, if anything, it's gonna add that extra layer to you to make you that much more valuable of a player here. If you could just see the big picture and put your ego to the side, you know, I've never understood that.
1: There's always a way to do everything. Rey Mysterio, uh, he beat JBL. Who would have thought in any way shape or form it will be jbl but guess mm-hmm. what those two guys both know how to work yep and they both did it in a way that makes
0: sense absolutely and the thing is if you know how to do it and you can do it right and execute it properly not only will it not hurt you not only will it not hurt your image it will make those people want to come back more specifically to see you You will be their focal point. They're going to want to see if you get beat. They're going to want to see if they pull another one over on you. Like, doesn't matter win, lose, or draw. They're coming to see you. That should be the focal point, and that should feed your ego right there where, man, at least I'm the focal point of something, whether I see the big picture right now or not. Like, I've never understood that point.
1: And I get it when you're young and hungry. You want to go in there and you want to take all the bumps and everything, but when you get older, you like... I cannot take bumps. I can just
2: go and do this segment and
0: just have fun and and still get paid. All right, hell yeah! <laughs> like don't have to worry about getting a concussion. Don't have to worry about a getting scar on the inside of my leg from a guy that doesn't know how to tape his blade down. You know, like just I would take that any night of the week or give me the first match because then I get to set the pace and I'm done. I've yeah. never understood that how people look at it that way. But going back to the ego thing here with you. Wearing so many hats behind the scenes on the shows, being the booker, also wrestling on some of these shows. Do you ever have to deal with the conflict of somebody confronting you saying you're doing something just to get yourself over? Or does everybody know that you're kind of doing it for the betterment of the show and sometimes making, you know, if you do win, it's got a bigger picture and a long-term goal in mind?
1: So that's one thing that I'm always worried about because I don't want anybody to ever say... That me and TC built this promotion to put ourselves over.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nine times out of ten, spoiler alert: if I'm wrestling on the show, I'm probably losing. Yep. <laughs> it's not about me, like you know. I'm I'm older. I know I'm not going to go in there and I'm not going to put in any thirty minute Iron Man matches or anything like that. My job is to get the next generation over so they can do their thing.
0: Absolutely, because always
1: the where I In the long term, they're going to be taking care of the business when I'm gone.
0: In the long term, you want to know that you left it in good, capable hands.
1: Remember a promoter we worked with, one of our mentors, he used to always say, you want to leave things better than you found it. Yes. And he said that to me, and I have always applied that in almost everything I do.
0: I carry that mentality everywhere now, whether it's work. Whatever it may be, I want to bring something to the table that leaves what I get my hands on better than it was when I found it, no matter what it is. Like, I've always adapted that mentality. And it's so frustrating when other people don't see it that way. You know, it ties into something that I was actually told down here. It's like, this was another veteran wrestler. He said, I don't care if I'm in the main event. I don't care if so-and-so is in the main event. If so-and-so is drawing more people to these shows... And it's putting more money in my pocket? Let so and so be the main event. Because at the end of the day, I still win making more money. My show makes more money. The boys make more money. Everybody wins. Like and he kind of wore the same hat you did where he would book the show and then he was also a wrestler too. But nine times out of ten, he would lose. Unless it furthered a story. So there was always that big picture in mind. Shout so out to
1: my brother. I love
0: you, brother. Yes, sir. Man, he has done so much for both of us and we could do a whole nother episode on him which I've got to reach out to him and get him as a guest. Thank you for that. Putting There's that little seed a, in a, my mind there. He me on
2: Facebook for some reason.
1: I don't know what what happened.
0: But. He did that to me as well. It it's like it changes with the seasons. I'm not sure what it is, but I know from what I've seen now he's uh he's doing good. He's engaged. He's in a he's in a good place. So I uh, I hope he's doing well, and I'm hoping I can have him as a guest on here, too. So
1: You got to, man. I, <sighs> man, that would be a great episode.
0: Dude, the stories he could tell, the Bear wrestling documentary that just went all kinds of topsy-turvy and got him on uh, comicbook.com going viral, the video of me kicking a guy in the head like six times that was trying to attack somebody— Oh, my God, there's just, like, so much stuff there going on. Like, the stories that guy could tell.
1: you just got to give that episode the TVMA uh, rating.
0: Yep, that's what most <laughs> of these are uh, are turning out to be. But there's a good lesson underneath. It's like it's like yeah. South Park, but not as famous yet. So
1: He's one of the few people that I could literally, I don't even have to say anything. I could have be in the room and just listen to that guy talk.
0: Yes, as a wrestler, and I think you were actually on that show with me, too, because you said something on the ride home. He is the guy that helped it all finally click for me after being in for almost four years. Just working with that guy, the light bulb just went off in a match. And I know that what was supposed to be our original match just got thrown out the window. Things just kind of went topsy-turvy, and we did our own thing. And we actually spun off into an almost eight-month program, just me and him, based off of that one little change. But he actually helped me find my confidence psychology fell into place like that guy is just a wealth of knowledge and does not get his just due and that's uh that's a shame
1: he's also one of those people that proves that if you have a respect for a leader mm-hmm. you would do whatever you can oh yeah for that leader yeah he's one of those type people even to this day right now if he called me right now and was like hey i need you come down here tomorrow and do a show for me I'll be
0: on the road. Yep. I think he might have deleted me off Facebook, and I don't think he knew it at the time, but, you know, they did a a Fighting Spirit tournament this year, and or earlier this year, and I think it actually happened about the time that I had COVID, so I couldn't make it, but I didn't say that I had COVID, and I think that kind of, you know, may have led to that. I could be wrong, but. You know, I was invited. I just couldn't make it. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you would do anything for, and you know that at the same time, too, he would do anything for you. You know, when my son was born, my first son was born, as soon as I posted a picture of Levi, he sent me a message, like not even five minutes later, with a uh, a quote of scripture and just talked about fatherhood and the importance of that. So, like This guy, if you were one of his boys, he would do anything in the world for you and vice versa. Yep. And man, we're uh we're coming up on an hour and a half here, and I know for sure I'm gonna have you back on as kind of a round table thing with seven at some point in the future. But before I get to my last question for you tonight, man, I just want to thank you for not only being so generous with your time, but also dude, just opening up as your friend, like I've said, for over ten years, I think I'm coming up 14 years at this point, just teaching me new things about you that I didn't even know at this point. And, you know, it's like, I love you to death. So just thank you for coming on here and being so open about everything, joking around with me and, you know, telling parts of your story that I don't think a lot of other people may know either. So thank you for trusting me to just have that conversation and be open about it.
1: You're very welcome, man. Like you are, are legit a brother to me. You know, I you second that. family welcome me with open arms. Absolutely. And, uh, just love all you guys, man. So thank yes, you. sir.
0: And, man, my last question for you, just as uh, something for the listeners here. Coming up on 20 years of wrestling, Throw in the moves across the country multiple times, throwing getting your college degree, graduating high school, how do you stay motivated at this point, and how do you avoid burnout and keep yourself ready to try the next thing with the podcast, with everything you're doing? How do you stay so motivated?
1: Thought you were going to bring up the uh, the Wicked Couples comment? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's know, for later. I'm one of those type of people that like I always feel like I have to be doing something. Same. I'm not doing nothing. Like COVID sucked for me sitting in this house. I mean, granted, I had to go to work because I was an essential worker, but you know, same sitting here. Sitting in this house, not doing nothing, sucked. Like I love being busy. I love trying to try new things and see how they work out. I'm hoping this podcasting thing you know, grows and, and, and ends up being something successful. Even if it's not, I'm having a good time doing it.
2: Absolutely. So I just
1: keep at it because I you know, want it to be successful. And I don't want to be one of those people that fail at something and then wonder, did I give it all that I have?
0: Yeah, I can relate yeah. to that 100%. It's either that or should I have tried that or I regret not doing that. So I, I get that 100%.
1: And then always got to take some time off for yourself. I mean, there's sometimes in a two-week span where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have any time for myself for the next two weeks. So I look forward to that day <laughs> two weeks. Yep. That's my motivation to get through those two weeks. When I'm
0: still happens, trying to teach I'm myself like, that.
1: And when it happens, I'm like, <sighs> here we go. <laughs> time to recharge. Start it all over again.
0: I am still so trying to teach myself that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> see, when you got kids, they're around you all the time. So I could, I could imagine. Yeah. You know, I I would think the key to that is just coming up with stuff to do with them so that Mm -hmm. you're all relaxing, you
0: know? Absolutely. And just fall asleep on the floor for a minute until one of them splashes on you or whatever, and then it's a rude awakening. (laughs) But eh, it's still fulfilling. So, but man, I, again, dude, just thank you for coming on. I can't wait to have you and Seven back on so we can actually finally debunk the myth of him body slamming you because we know that didn't happen. There's no footage. You know, it's, it's an alleged situation, so I can't wait till we finally have that episode on here. Man, again, just thank you for trusting me to come on this pod and tell your story. Thank you for the laughs, the love, and just thanks for being, you know, the big brother that I needed in some of those tough times, too. So thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome, man. All right. Love you, man. We'll talk soon. And again, guys, I just want to thank all of you for listening. If you like what we're doing here, subscribe on any platform you can. I can't preach that enough. Please subscribe. Give us a five-star review and share it with anybody that will listen. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends, a guy on the street, a girl on the street. Just share it because our stories here may have a message that could help anybody. So I want to thank you again for listening. I want to thank you again for supporting. And I want to thank our sponsors for all they do for us as well. So I can't wait till I have our next guest on here next week. And I can't wait for you guys to hear that interview as well. And I know you hear me. If you love anime like I do, I've got a YouTube channel just for you. My voiceover coach, Elise Bowman, is an anime voice actress who interviews her fellow anime voice actors. Elise is an actress, TV host, and the voice of Pan on Dragon Ball GT, among other characters. She's got a YouTube channel, Anime Adventures with Elise Bowman, and on there she has over 100 videos where she has interviewed voice actors, Power Rangers, and even a few professional wrestlers, and all that sounds right up my alley. And there's a lot of other people that she's interviewed as she travels the country going to Comic Cons and different recording studios. Elise also features actors from the entire Dragon Ball franchise, My Hero Academia, Naruto, and so much more. And on top of that, there are exclusive panels that are only available on this channel from events like Con 2, Con Live 2021, and so many more. You've got to check this out. See and hear voice actors behind your favorite characters and from your favorite anime shows. Go to youtube.com slash animeadventures and let me know what you think. Follow her on social at Adventures Anime and at Elise Bowman. She loves chatting with fans of anime. Hey, I know you hear me. And guess what? Elise and I want to hear from you too. Connect with us.